ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆಯ ಶ್ರೀಕೃಷ್ಣಚೈತನ್ಯಪ್ರಭುನಿತ್ಯನಂದ ಶ್ರೀಅದ್ವೈತಗಡಧಾರ ಶಿವಾಸಿ ಶ್ರೀ ಗೌರಭಕ್ತವೃಂದ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ 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 ಹರೇ ಹರಿ ಹರೇ ರಾಮ ಹರೇ ರಾಮ 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 ಹರೇ ಹರೇ ಹರೇರ್ನಾಮ 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 ಇವ ಕೇವಲ ಕಲೋ ನಸ್ತೇವ 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 ಗತಿರನ್ಯಥ ಡಿಡಿ ಭೌತೀಸ್ ಐಮ್ ವೆರಿ ಹ್ಯಾಪಿ ಟು ಸಿ ಆಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಯು ಅನಾದಿ ಪ್ರಭು ಅಂಡನ್ ಮೋಹನ್ ಪ್ರಭು ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಚೈತನ್ಯ ಪ್ರಭು ಹರಿಜಂ ಪ್ರಭು ವೆಲ್ಕಮ್ ಟು ದಿಸ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಾಗವತಂ and uh, anyone else who is listening to this uh, afterwards i've been giving uh, talks on the bhagavatam as part of the sangha lectures now for 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 some time trying to approach the shrimad bhagavatam in different ways uh, i am myself a person who is very much fond of books which uh, some of you know and maybe can even see behind me uh, I like all kinds of books almost all kinds of books but there is something very special about the Shrimad Bhagavatam and in these classes I've been trying to to share what I have learned about the Shrimad Bhagavatam and also a little bit what I have realized myself even though that's not too much to be honest and in the last few lectures what I've been doing is I have been going through the first verses of the shrimad bhagavatam starting with the the very first verse of the first chapter and then the next one the second and today the third so the topic of today's class is the third verse of the shrimad bhagavatam these three first verses they form uh, what in uh, a scholastic uh, sanskrit is called a mangala charana or auspicious invocation Sanskrit uh, poeticians have divided mangala acharanas into three types some mangala acharanas are what is it, what is called vastu nirdeshaka or or invocations which describe something about the topic of the book others nam other uh, mangala acharanas are called namaskaratmaka or they are verses where you offer Uh, namaskara or obeisance to the divinity of the book or or maybe to the book itself and then there are also mangala acharanas which are called ashirvadatmaka or or verses of blessing and uh, as we shall see in this third verse we can find elements of all these three types of mangala acharana so these kind of of uh, classifications and uh, and uh, strict types that there's three types of mangala charanas this one is this and this one is that they don't always really work in in real life when we look at real texts quite often these categories are conflated not because the author doesn't know what uh, he or she is doing but because often times the author wants to do many things at the time and sometimes that gets messy sometimes it gets beautiful and i will try to argue that we have a case of the second uh, alternative here in the shrimad bhagavatam so the third verse 
<clears throat> goes like this Nigamakalpataror Galitam Palam Shukamukadam Ritadrava Samyutam Pibata Bhagavatam Rasamalayam Muhuraho Rasika Bhuvibhavukaha. Um, I'll take out Prabhupada's translation of, of this verse. If you give me one second. Um, Prabhupada, of course, he translated the first canto uh, when he was uh, still in India. Later on, it was edited by his disciples to, to make the language a little bit more polished. But uh, the first canto is quite different from, from the other cantos of the Srimad Bhagavatam that Prabhupada published uh, in many charming ways. So this is his translation. Oh, expert and thoughtful man. Relish Srimad Bhagavatam, the mature fruit of the desired tree of Vedic literature. It emanated from the lips of Sri Shukadeva Goswami. Therefore, this fruit has become even more tasteful. Although its nectarian juice was already relishable for all, including liberated souls. So I'll try to go through this verse now, more or less, uh, word by word. And I also want to, to, to welcome Shraddha Dasi, Vrajavakti and Vrajasundari, uh, Devi, who has, uh, they have all joined us since we started. Nigamakalpataror galitam palam. Shukamukad amrita dravasamyutam. Pibata bhagavatam rasamalayam. Mur aho rasika bhuvibhavuka. Translating Sanskrit verses is difficult because the word order is quite different in Sanskrit. It often makes sense to start from the end. The last line says, Rasika aho rasika bhuvibhavukaha. Aho means oh or uh, Hear up, listen. I'm speaking to you, Rasikas. A rasika is an esthete or a, a person who knows how to taste rasa. Rasa, of course, is a very important term in Gaudiya Vaishnava uh, theology. Rasa means nectar. In Sanskrit, you can say that uh, you want to have sugarcane rasa. Then you want to have the juice of the sugarcane. Or you could have, have uh, orange rasa or something. It's the, the, the nectar, the, the juice of something. That's the, the literal meaning of rasa. But uh, the word rasa is then also taken to mean the essence of anything. So, for example, uh, you could say that the, the rasa of Anadi Krishna Prabhu is being a, a very sweet and thoughtful person, for example. That's the, from my perspective at least, that's, that's my understanding of the essence of Anadi Krishna Prabhu. We're not going to get that if we squeeze him like an orange. But somehow there is that in Anadi Prabhu. So a rasika is a person who can 
taste the essence of something, taste the juice of something. Just like you can be a connoisseur of, let's say, uh, let's say wines. People have invented this whole language for how to speak about wines, that this, this wine has a very, um, I don't even know the words, but I know there's a whole, whole vocabulary for describing different types of wines. So that's a, a, a connoisseur of, of, of wines. He knows all of this and he's able to, to taste that in this particular vintage, there is this very special taste. So the Bhagavatam is speaking here to the connoisseur, the expert in relishing rasa. And the kind of rasa that we will relish in the Srimad Bhagavatam, of course not the rasa of wine, or even the rasa of Anadi Krishna Prabhu. It is the rasa that is alaya, rasam alayam, the kind of rasa, the kind of nectar, the kind of essence, that stretches all the way past liberation, laya or, or, or liberation. So we are going, uh, the uh, Vyasadeva is here saying, oh connoisseurs, oh rasikas, pibata rasam alayam, drink this nectar. This nectar, that will take you even beyond liberation. Uh, but the word rasika can also have a kind of elitist undertone in it, an elitist connotation. That this book is not for a simple person like Brigu or, or somebody like that. This is for a very uh, cultivated, learned, aesthetic expert who is able to recognize that oh here this word is used in this way and this makes me think about that statement from the Upanishads so Vyasadeva uses another word here Rasika Bhuvi Bhavuka Bhuvi means on earth so he's not speaking for demigods or or others in other worlds. He's speaking for people here on earth who are esthetes, rasikas, who are connoisseurs, but who are also bhavuka. A bhavuka uh, is a person who is uh, interested in bhava. Another important term. We have two super important terms here in this first, in this third verse. Rasa, we'll hear more about rasa uh, in a little bit. But then also the word bhava. Bhava, uh, in a very, very general way, and we're going to see throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam many examples of more specific understandings of bhava. In a very general way, the word bhava means uh, uh, feeling or emotion. Emotion. Uh, so a bhavuka is a person who's interested in this. A person who, if we want to be a little bit uh, cruel, we can call it call that person a sentimentalist. Uh, a person who is uh, who wears uh, his or her heart on the sleeve, so to speak. A person who 
sees a Disney movie and uh, cries, a person who who hears a story about a pony who got lost in the forest and is all uh, sad and shaken up about this until that person hears that everything went well with the pony. So oftentimes this word bhavuka has a very different connotation than the word rasika. The word rasika makes us think of somebody who's very cultured and highbrow and just come home from the opera or something like that. But the word bhavuka makes us think of a simple person who, who feels very strongly about different things and cries easily and gets easily upset and like the opposite of a Finnish person, basically. So Vyasadeva, uh, he's using both of these two words for a very spe specific reason. He wants to say, I'm speaking to people who are interested in rasa, but not these kind of posh, uh, highbrow persons. I'm speaking to persons who are interested in rasa because they have a heart interest in this topic. They're not just interested in rasa as an intellectual exercise or a way to kind of cultivate their own snobbishness or anything like that. I'm speaking to people who want to live all of this, who want to bring this rasa into their own hearts and make a kind of revolution of the heart, make things happen in the heart, make the heart melt. The kind of person that Mahaprabhu is demonstrating to such a superlative degree that it's almost scary for us. So where do we get this rasa? Vyasadeva says, Bibata, drink it. But where do we find it? He says, Nigama kalpataror galitam palam. There's a wish-fulfilling tree, a kalpataru, uh, that is made up of nigama. Nigama is a word for the Vedas. So the Vedas are here metaphorically compared to a desired tree or a wish-fulfilling tree. Why? Well, because the Vedas uh, can, can uh, fulfill humanities, uh, all kinds of desires. If you study the Veda, if you engage with the Veda, you can get uh, uh, religious merits, punya or dharma. You can get uh, uh, wealth by uh, uh, doing the different rituals, uh, artha. You can get enjoyment, kama, you can get liberation, moksha. So the Vedas are a wish-fulfilling tree. And on this tree, the different Vedas, Rig, Yajur, Sama, Tarva, they form the branches. The leaves are the different verses, the different uh, hymns. But this tree also has an amazing fruit, a pala. And this pala, this fruit, has fallen down, galita. It's fallen down on the ground. And this fruit is the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Now, by this metaphor of the tree and the fruit, Vyasadev is telling us several important things. First of all, he's showing that in this book, he's going to be using this kind of language of poetry. It is sometimes said that the Vedas teach us uh, like, uh, uh, like a schoolmaster, the kind of, of teacher that I'm sure Anadi had in, in school. Uh, my wife, uh, who's also Polish, has told me about the kind of teachers they had in school and how they would beat them with sticks and things like that. So the Vedas, they're like this. Do this. Don't do that. If you do this, this will happen to you. If you do that, you'll go to hell. This kind of very heavy, strong teaching. The Bhagavatam teaches us in a very different way. The Bhagavatam teaches us by uh, stories, by feelings, by bhava. We'll read about these different persons. We'll read about, let's say, Maharaj Parikshit. We'll read the whole story of, of his life. But this story will awaken different kinds of bhavas, different kinds of feelings within us. And now I'm using the word bhava in a, in a general way. Uh, let's take the story of Parikshit, for example. Parikshit is uh, the descendant of the Pandavas. Uh, he is the, the final descendant of the Pandavas. After all, the, 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 the sons of the Pandavas were, were killed. He was still in, in the womb of his mother, Uttara. So when he's born, all the other Pandavas are gone. He becomes the universal king. But he becomes king at a very special time when Kali has entered the world. Krishna has left the world. The Pandavas are gone. All the great heroes are gone. And the world has really kind of started to go downwards. Already Yudhishthira, his grandfather, had seen all these signs of, of the approach of Kali after Krishna had left this world. Now some more years have passed. And things are really, really looking bad. Parikshit, he takes a stand against this. He's like a, a person standing uh, in a river saying, stop, I forbid you from flowing in this direction. From one perspective, it's a crazy thing. You can't hinder a river. You can't hinder the flow of time. But Parikshit really tries. He tries to stop the influence of, of Kali. He confronts the personality of Kali. We hear this story in the first canto. He forces him to leave off his bad deeds. He forces him to, to take shelter of, of only very specific places in the kingdom. He's really doing everything he can uh, to hinder this kind of downward spiral of the world. But he can't do it. He's this kind of tragic hero. Engaged in all of this, he himself falls prey to the influence of Kali. He gets cursed. And what does he do then? His whole life he has been fighting Kali Yuga, but then he realizes, I have to let go. I have to let go. I, I can't do this anymore. 
what I was doing was noble and it was beautiful, but it was doomed from the beginning. And then he meets Shukadeva and he starts listening to the Srimad Bhagavatam. So when we think of the story in this way, we notice that there are so many different emotions connected with it. This tragic hero, the, the struggle against time, uh, he's trying to find Krishna who he saw in the, in, in the womb of his mother when he was unborn. All of these different things, they, when we think about the story, when we hear it again and again, it starts to kind of live in us. So the Bhagavatam, Vyasadeva says, uh, is this fruit of the Veda. It's connected to the Vedas. It's not completely separate from the, the, the four Vedas. There are parts in the Srimad Bhagavatam that, that function as a kind of commentary, for example, to the Purusha Sukta of the Rig Veda. There are other parts that mirror the Ishopanishad. The Vedas are present in the Srimad Bhagavatam, but the Srimad Bhagavatam is separate also from the Veda. It has fallen from the trees of the Veda, tree of the Vedas, but it's on the ground now. It's separate from the Veda. It's the fruit of the Veda, but it, there's also some difference between the fruit and the tree. It's a galita pala. It means it's not the fruit that somebody has picked uh, Harijan Prabhu has picked up, has climbed up into the tree and he's taken this fruit. No, it's fallen by itself. That's what happens when a fruit is ripe. When it's completely ripe, it will fall from the tree. That is the stat status of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is the ripened fruit of the tree of the Vedas. It is completely sweet. Uh, the commentators say that it's like a mango but with two differences. It's a completely ripe mango, but it doesn't have any skin. And it also doesn't have a, a stone inside. It's just nectar from the outside to the inside. Uh, there's one more thing that the Asadeva says about this metaphorical fruit of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Shuka Mukad Amrita Dravasamyuta. It has flown from the mouth of Shuka. This can be understood in two different ways. One is that uh, in the form that we have the Srimad Bhagavatam today, the, the kind of final form of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is the discussion between Shuka and Parikshit. This uh, Tragic king. Shuka uh, is the speaker. So he has taken this fruit and passed it on to us. Because what usually happens if a fruit falls from a tree, of course, it does, is that it will get spoiled. Imagine a mango with no skin and no stone falling from a tree. It will just make a plush on the ground and there's nothing for it left. But here we have somebody who has caught that fruit, Shuka. And he has taken it and he's given it to his disciples. 
these disciples, they have received the fruit from him, and they are now giving it to their disciples. This is called Guru Parampara, or one after the other, a preceptorial succession. One teacher teaching a student, that student becoming a teacher and teaching the next student, and like this, generation after generation. Usually, one generation is calculated as 20 years. So you can imagine how many generations we're speaking about here, thousands of years. So many generations of teachers and students, each of them carefully receiving the Srimad Bhagavatam and passing it on. can also be understood in a different way. Shuka refers to the son of Yasadev, this uh, person who in the form of a 16-year-old boy travels around and who eventually teaches the Bhagavatam to Parikshit. But Shuka also means parrot. And there's a, a superstition or a, a folk belief in ancient India and maybe still today that if a parrot has, has eaten from a fruit, then that means that that's a really good fruit. Either because the fruit really becomes tasty when the parrot has tasted it, or then because the parrot will only taste the most excellent fruits. Uh, and the parrot will leave kind of like a, a, a specific type of a kind of mark when it has tasted a fruit. Usually if a, if a fruit has been tasted by some, some animal, it's considered impure and you, you, don't, you don't eat it. But uh, it's different with a parrot. If a parrot has, has tasted it, it's become extra sweet. So this ripened fruit of the Vedas, this mango with no stone and no skin, has further been tasted by Shukadev, by the parrot Shukadev, and made extra sweet. So the Bhagavatam, when it was told by... Uh, uh, Lord Vishnu to Brahma or to the Kumaras or to, to uh, uh, others before was nectar and it was perfect. But now that it has been tasted by Shukadeva, it is even more perfect. So this kind of liquid nectar, Amrita Drava, drink it, Vyasadeva says. Drink this nectar. Alayam, it will take you all the way to liberation and beyond. The Vedas, they deal with the, the uh, Chaturvarga, or the four goals of life. Uh, piety, wealth, enjoyment, liberation. But the Srimad Bhagavatam adds a fifth one. Love of God, Prema, Panchama Purucharta. So drink this nectar. It will bring you all the way to prema. Alayam can also be understood in a different way. Vishnu Chakravarti Pad says. Uh, laya can also mean fainting. So just like a, a drunkard could drink all the way till he passes out, 
and then kind of oh, wake up and and then go back to the bottle and just continue drinking. We should do the same with the Srimad Bhagavatam. Drink the nectar of the Bhagavatam until you pass out. And then get up and drink it again. <laughs> so Vyasadeva is using this kind of humorous language here to emphasize that uh, engaging with the Srimad Bhagavatam, it should really be an enjoyable affair. We should taste it. We should enjoy it. We should drink the nectar of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So what does this mean in practical terms? Well, one thing is that just like uh, the Bhagavatam here became more relishable by being tasted by Shukadeva, similarly, the Bhagavatam for us will become more relishable if it is tasted by the previous Shukadevas, the previous uh, Acharyas and, and Masters. Uh, hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, reading the Srimad Bhagavatam can be done in any situation. But it's more powerful when we hear the Srimad Bhagavatam from a devotee. So who is a devotee? This is something that is dealt with in many different texts. In, in the book that I'm working with, Hari Bhakti Vilasa, this is dealt with in, in the 10th chapter. There, uh, Sanatana Goswami, he begins by quoting verses saying that a Vaishnava, or a devotee, is a person who wears tilak, who decorates the body with the signs of, of, of Vishnu, who follows Ekadashi, who does this, who does that, who doesn't do this, who doesn't do that. So he begins with this kind of very formal, very kind of, we could say even external de descriptions. And then, of course, he goes deeper, that there are different types of, of devotees, different types of Bhagavatas. Uh, there are the, the, the beginner devotees who see Krishna in the Sri Murti, in the blessed form, uh, who can't see Krishna elsewhere, but they see Krishna in the temple. Then there are the intermediate devotees, the Madhyama Bhagavatas, who see Krishna in the deity, but also in the devotees, and know how to respect Krishna in the deity, but also Krishna in the devotees. And then there are the Uttama Bhagavatas, or the topmost devotees, who see Krishna everywhere. And he describes devotees in, in different ways that make us realize that, yes, there are people who wear tilak uh, and do these kind of external things, and that's fine. This is something that's important in devotional culture. But that's not the essence. The essence is that the devotee is a person who carries Krishna in the heart. So the best way of relishing the Srimad Bhagavatam is to relish the Bhagavatam in the company of such devotees. This is exactly why the word Bhagavata can refer both to the text Srimad Bhagavatam, or to the devotee. Uh, Prabhupada sometimes calls, speaks about the, the book Bhagavata and uh, the person Bhagavata. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Mahaprabhu says something like Jaha Bhagavata Irstan. Uh, I forget the, word, the, the Bengali Bayar, but anyway, the point is that go to a Bhagavata 
and hear the Bhagavata from him. So go to a devotee, hear the book Bhagavatam from him. That is the way to receive the Srimad Bhagavatam in the uh, mode of, of the Guru Parampara. And also to receive the Bhagavatam in a way that will be even more relishable for us. Because the ill devotees, they of course, they can explain the Bhagavatam in a way that will be uh, relevant uh, in our present age. And also they will add their own realizations, just like our Guru Maharaj does when he, he will uh, post something on, on Facebook or when he will uh, tell about some Leela. He will start out with the Srimad Bhagavatam, but he will bring so much more and add so many more layers of meaning and understanding. So relish the Srimad Bhagavatam means relish, hear the Srimad Bhagavatam from the devotees, read the Srimad Bhagavatam with commentaries of devotees, such as Prabhupada or Vishnu Chakravarti or other great devotees. Uh, and then try to, to uh, get it to sink in, in some way. And this can be done in different ways. Uh, I think it's important to realize that a reading, first of all, doesn't necessarily mean that you sit with a book like this. Now I'm reading. Reading can also mean listening. In ancient India, they didn't make this kind of difference. Reading is shravana, which literally means hearing. So when we drink the Srimad Bhagavatam, we drink it in a weird, weird way. We drink the Srimad Bhagavatam through the ears. I don't know anything else that you drink through the ears, but the Bhagavatam you drink through the ears. Uh, through the ears or through the eyes, if we're reading it. And again, the best way is to, to hear or read the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, with the help of the devotees. But we should also be careful not to become limited by always trying to get an ideal. I think this is a common danger in spiritual life that we, we read about what's the ideal. The best is to hear the Srimad Bhagavatam from a great devotee like Guru Maharaj. And then we realize, oh, I live in Finland. Uh, there's a time difference. I have a job. I can't always attend the meetings. So then I'll just not do anything. That's not the point. Then you go with what you can. Read the Srimad Bhagavatam with your friends. Read the Srimad Bhagavatam with your, with your family. Read the Srimad Bhagavatam just by yourself. And even this reading can be done in so many different ways. Guru Maharaj many times says that, that when he was a young Devotee, he used to read the Srimad Bhagavatam in the way that he would read one purport or one verse and then the purport. And whenever Prabhupada would, would uh, refer to some, uh, some other book, like he would say that in the Chaitanya Charitamrita it is said like this, then he would go to that place of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, read that. And then if in that place there was another reference, he would go there. And then he would just follow all these references until... He had kind of explored everything. And then he would go back to the first book. 
That's an amazing and fun way of reading, but it's also uh, a quite time-consuming way. And of course, it also necessitates that you're reading on the database or somewhere where you can just click or that you have all the books around you. So you can't always read like that. Another way of reading is just to read uh, the translations, to forget all about that Sanskrit, the word for word, the purports, just read the translations to get the feel for the, the story of the book, the, 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 the narrative and the, the feeling of the book. Or then you can just read one verse a day with the purport, whatever works for you. The main thing is that we should engage with the stream of the Bhagavatam. In the previous verse, in the second verse, it was said, Nityam Bhagavata Seva. Nitya means uh, uh, regularly. And uh, the Acharyas often understand the word Nitya to mean daily. You should engage with the Srimad Bhagavatam daily. How many of us do that? How many of us read the Srimad Bhagavatam every day? I don't. I don't. I'm not a good example here. But that is what we should be doing. We should read the Srimad Bhagavatam every, every day. Because Rupa Goswami, when he describes the most important uh, limbs of bhakti, the Panchanga bhakti, or the five most powerful aspects of bhakti, the five most powerful practices of bhakti, one of them, of course, is relishing the nectar of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So... Uh, this is not something that is just said here in the beginning of the book to kind of make us interested in the topic, kind of an advertisement for what's going to happen. This is something that the Acharyas have also realized through their own lives, their own experiences. The Bhagavatam is a powerful text. It's a text that is transformative. This nectar that comes from this amazing fruit is an actor that can change our lives. And why is that? Well, the main reason, of course, is that this nectar, in its most perfect form, is Sri Krishna himself. Vishwanath Chakravarti, in his commentary, he quotes uh, a famous verse. I will read it to you. Malla namashanirninam naravarastrinam smaru murtiman Gopanam svadano satam kshiti bujam shastas vapitrushishu mrityur bodapater virada vidusham tatvambaram yoginam vrishni nambara devateti vidito rangam gatasagraja. This is from from uh, the 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 tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, from the chapter when Krishna has now entered Mathura and he's going he's just about to kill Kamsa he's entered the 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 uh, wrestling arena of Kamsa so uh the translation is like this. The various groups of people in the arena regarded Krishna in different ways when he entered it with his elder brother. The wrestlers saw Krishna as a lightning bolt. 
the men of Mathura as the best of males, the women as Cupid in person, the coward men as their relative, the impious rulers as a chastiser, his parents as their child, the king of the Bodras as death, the unintelligent as the Supreme Lord's universal form, the yogis as the absolute truth, and the Vrishnis as their supreme worshipful deity. So in Krishna, all different uh, bhavas, all different ways, all different emotions that can be uh, directed towards the Lord find their perfection. And this means that in all these different bhavas, one can experience rasa or, or this kind of nectar. In Krishna, all these different rasas find their perfection. Krishna is the, the object of love as a friend, as a, a, a parent, as a lover. Uh, the Bhagavatam teaches us that some rare souls have even attained liberation by thinking of Krishna as their enemy, like Shishupala or Kamsa. So Krishna really is the fountainhead of all different kinds of rasa. That is why Srila Rupa Goswami calls him Akila Rasamrita Murti, or the form of all rasa. So this kind of rasa, this kind of nectar the Srimad Bhagavatam offers us. And it is our duty then to drink this rasa by uh, approaching Shukadeva Goswami and his followers and in their company, tasting the Srimad Bhagavatam through our ears or through our eyes, in whatever way we can, whether that is uh, by reading on our own, discussing with our friends and family, or listening from a great soul, or even, and this is kind of showing the liberality of the Srimad Bhagavatam, we can even engage with the Srimad Bhagavatam by listening to the Srimad Bhagavatam from the poisoned lips of Brigupad Das. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is a text that we can engage with in so many different ways. And in these lectures, I've been trying to, to share some of, of the insights that I've, I've received uh, about these first few verses. Are there any questions or comments? Braja Sundar is writing, uh, I'm wondering, considering the story of Parikshit, how to know when we should stop endeavors to save the planet, the poor, a friend who got into trouble, whatever cause might be appealing to us, and let go or otherwise we might be hurt ourselves. Thank you, Braja Sundari. That's a very good question. Because, of course, the story of Parikshit shows us both. He's really trying his best, and he's making a difference. When he is the king, he is uh, hindering Kali for a long time. But ultimately, he has to give up. Ultimately, he has to kind of raise his head, hands in the air and say, I give up. Uh, the, the, the same story of Parikshit is also told in the Mahabharata, 
but it's a different Parikshit from a different Kalpa. In the Mahabharata Parikshit, when he gets cursed, he he uh, tries to 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 stop the curse. He he makes this uh, castle of iron so that the this Takshaka snake will not be able to bite him. And he has all these guards guarding that nobody will be able to enter. But nevertheless, Takshasa, Takshaka manages to enter and, and, and kill him. In the Bhagavatam, he doesn't respond like that. In the Bhagavatam, he, he just sits down and he listens to, to this nectar. So the Bhagavatam teaches us both to, to, to help, but at some point to realize, I can't solve all the problems of this world. What is this point? In Parikshit's case, Parikshit's case, the point is when he himself is at the uh, uh, threshold of death. When he realizes, I have only seven days more to live. <laughs> Guru Maharaj many times has made this point. How many days have we left of our lives? We could say, we don't know. Maybe 2,000, maybe 20,000. Uh, I don't know how much that would be actually in years. Maybe that's, that's excessive. Anyway, we could say we don't know how many days. But we could also say, yes, we know exactly how many days we have. We have seven days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Are we going to die in one of those seven days? For sure. So when we get this realization, life is short. Uh, that's when we need to turn inwards. And this, of course, uh, varies from one person to another. I certainly don't have that realization. I still think I'm going to do many things. Uh, I will have time to do many different things. But if we get this realization that life is short, I want to help others, I want to, to be... Uh, a useful person in different ways, but uh, I also need to think about myself. That's when we need to 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 take a, a moment to think: uh, What am I doing here? Am I trying to help others, or am I just trying to create this image that I'm this super helpful and friendly person who knows everything and always tries to be the best? So that was a long answer, and uh, I don't know if it really helped, but uh, that's my, my thought. Shraddha wrote, I've wondered about how to think of the personified Vedas. Is there any type of benefit in thinking of the Bhagavatam part of the Vedas as a living entity? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. The Bhagavatam sometimes does this, like other Indian texts will do the same. Uh, kind of personify different things. This is very much a, 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 an Indian thing. There's a personification of everything. The Ganges is not just a river, it's a goddess. Uh, Tulasi is not just a bush, it's also a, a, a goddess and, uh, and so forth. So there's a personification of everything. There's also a personification of the Bhagavatam uh, in, in a text called the Bhagavatam Mahatmya, there's an idea that the Bhagavatam is, is, a, is a goddess also. 
and uh, she has become very weak at one point but uh, she's identified with bhakti so it's really bhakti devi who they think about there as a goddess anyway uh, so so yes we can think of the bhagavatam as a person like this and sometimes it's it's also said like this just like there are the personified vedas there's also the personified bhagavatam uh, and I, I've seen many people, they engage with the Bhagavatam as a divinity in the sense that, for example, before they read the Bhagavatam, many devotees do this in India, uh, they will keep the Bhagavatam on a, on a small kind of throne and uh, they, will, they will ring a bell, they will offer some incense to the Bhagavatam, they will uh, affix a tulsi leaf with sandalwood pulp on the inside cover of the book. They will bow down to the book. They will treat it as a as a divinity. That can be useful because uh, worshiping of of uh, all those persons and things that are related to Krishna, that are Krishna's tadiya or or Krishna's dearest, is a very powerful way of uh, attracting the attention of Krishna. So we can think like this, that Bhagavatam is a, a, a divinity that we, we can worship in this way or we can we can honor. But we shouldn't make that worship so kind of ritualistic that it uh, that our reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam is just ringing a bell and, and offering some incense and we never actually take the time to read the text. That would be, I think, a mistake and counterproductive. Uh, and, and we shouldn't also become too scared. Like I remember when I was a new bhakta, and thank you for asking this because I, I just now remember this story or, or this uh, something that happened when I was a new bhakta. I was doing traveling Sankirtan and uh, one senior devotee, I think he had been in the movement for like five years before I joined, so he was super senior. Uh, his name is Jayada. And... Uh, and he's still, I haven't seen him in many years, but he's still a devotee, Jayada. He was reading the Bhagavatam during uh, uh, a break in the book distribution. And he was sitting at the table. One day I, I saw him sit at the table reading the Bhagavatam and eating Kichari at the same time. And I said, uh, Prabhuji, is it proper to read the Srimad Bhagavatam and eat at the same time? And this Jayada, he's a very sweet and nice devotee. <laughs> so when I said that to him, he said, yes, Bhaktamons, that's true. It's not a very good thing to do. And then he put away the book and he just continued eating. So he he didn't tell me off, even though I was being a, a jerk, basically, telling senior devotee off like that. But afterwards, of course, I was so much ashamed because what I had done was I had hindered him from reading the Bhagavatam. Yes, it's not ideal to eat and read the Bhagavatam at the same time. It's better to read the Bhagavatam in a very kind of reverential way. But which one is better, do you think? To read the Bhagavatam and eat Kichari or to not read the Bhagavatam at all? Obviously, it's better to read the Bhagavatam and eat Kichari. So, so we shouldn't become too kind of obsessed with uh, doing everything in the very kind of ritually perfect way. I love rituals. Anybody who knows me knows that. But uh, 
Uh, I've also seen that they can become a way of kind of excluding other people. They can become a way of, of telling us that we are not good enough or something like that. So uh, if I see Jayada again, I will tell him, I'm sorry I said such a stupid thing those uh, many years ago. So yes, let's think about the Srimad Bhagavatam as a person, as a divinity, but let's not become too kind of neurotic about that. That's That's my point. Anything else? May I have a question? Uh, pronounced thanks for class. Uh, uh, I have like it's, I think very recent question. Like uh, when we hear Bhagavatam and through through some via media, like through through the technologies and and stuff like this, is the like content content like losing something or because I heard contradictory statement about this mm, thank you for the question i've also heard uh, both i know that for example srila gor govinda maharaj who, who was a very great devotee uh, in in iskon uh, he i think he used to say that uh, if you listen to a, a class that has been taped then there's almost no benefit that you have to actually hear directly from the the guru like from the mouth of the guru that you hear it with your real ears and you you're there present when it's it's spoken and of course he has an important point there if we are sitting in front of the guru then we can ask the question the guru can see that we're not paying attention and tell us off uh, we will feel the kind of energy the kind of uh, aura or whatever you want to call it, of the guru, you'll feel that in a completely different way if you're sitting like five meters from the guru compared to if you're listening to something on Spotify while you're out walking or having your lunch or something. It's a different experience, definitely. So Gorgovinda Maharaj has an important point. Yes, it is more powerful to hear the Srimad Bhagavatam like that directly from the guru, uh, physically in the same place. But and I think you could, could, could guess that there would be a but as well. Uh, again, let's not become prisoners of perfection. <laughs> Maybe we could make that a, a thing. Prison, prisoners of perfection. That's not good. Uh, sometimes, and most of the time, it's not possible to heal the Shima and the Bhagavan like that. And there's very much power in hearing the Shima and the Bhagavan through Zoom, through YouTube, through spotify through whatever maybe the power is not the same as the physical presence but there's immense power in all of that nevertheless so uh, for many of us like for myself i live in a far away place in the world in in a place called finland which hardly anybody has ever visited and or is ever going to visit so for me it's a huge boon that nowadays i can uh, have your company for example, through this Zoom medium. We were in completely different places of the earth. And uh, I don't know about you, but at least I feel benefited from, from uh, your company, Harijan Prabhu, uh, through this, this Zoom medium. Uh, so it's definitely, it's not worthless. It's very uh, worthwhile. And, uh, and it's amazing that we can be in touch with each other 
we can be in touch with devotees in India, in the United States, in Costa Rica, uh, everywhere through this medium. So it's super useful, I think. Again, it's not perfect, but the world is not perfect. I'm not perfect. Maybe Harijan Prabhu is perfect, but most of us are not. So then we have to make use of whatever means we can. Is that okay? Yes. Uh, also, also, like uh, like Prabhupada sometimes used like the example of Mike, no, that like he gives the potency to Mike. But at the same time, like Guru Maharaj with these lectures about like four, four layers of sound or something like that. So we maybe can think that some layer is missing, maybe, or, you know, like this. But yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely things are missing when they are recorded and we hear them afterwards and so on. But still, a lot will still be there. I think we have time for one more question, if anybody has anything. My wife is telling me I have to, to come for dinner. And, and if I've learned something, it's that, that uh, when the wife orders you, you need to, to do. So, so I need to stop for today. Thank you very much for today. Thank you for attending. Thank you for giving me your company. Jai Mishnu Pahar Barangas Parvrachaka Acharya Ashtotar Shatashi Shimad Bhaktivedanta Tripurari Devoswamaraj Lagurve Ki Jai Jai Gaur Bhaktarindaki Jai Jai Gaur Premanande Hari Hari Bol Vanchakalapatrubhyas Chakripasindubhya Chapatatanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namonamaha Anantakade Vaishnavirindaki Jai Gaur Premanande Hari Bol